Hello. Hello, John. Hey, Dan. Hey, good. Good? Good. Yes. How are you? Yes, good. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, you know, this is one of those, this is going to be one of those episodes of the podcast where I have gone directly from a state of totally sleeping and dreaming to recording a a show with another live person mm. in a in the span of just a few minutes. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes that uh that enables me to be in a kind of liminal state uh, in between place where the dreams are still, you know, active or uh-huh. or uh, I'm still sort of in the in that dream status and do you suspect also we'll, we'll, we'll get some kind of like deeper insight into your subconscious through this or is it just same you same old you well 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 <clears throat> i've thought about this a lot over the years and i think maybe you and i've never talked about it but I've, I've talked to merlin about it uh which is that throughout the whole time that i've been podcasting i have um done about 98% of those podcasts within 15 minutes to a half hour of waking up. (laughs) And a lot of those, uh, it's actually closer to five to 10 minutes from waking Mm -hmm. up because, because we record in the morning. That seems to be the schedule that, that everyone prefers. Like, Let's let's do our podcast in the morning, and by morning I mean for a long time, many years. It was ten o'clock in the morning uh, when I recorded. Sometimes as early as nine o'clock. And given the opportunity, with nothing, with no other reason to to get up and have breakfast and prepare, I will sleep right up until the time that I have to that I have to wake up. It's just it's just in my nature. I will just keep sleeping until I'm forced to get up. And so whew, during the early days of coronavirus, I, I, I wrote to all my podcast friends and said, can we switch to 11 a.m.? Nobody has anything to do anymore. Is there any reason why we can't record at 11? And everybody agreed. Dan, you and I were already recording at 11 mm-hmm. because you have special needs around your lunch. I, I don't have special needs. I have a, a need to consume food yes. sometime within the first seven hours of, of waking up. No, you have a special need to re- to eat food exactly between the hours of 12 and one and well, you don't, don't, and you it, won't bend in either direction, even by a minute. I can do that. I can definitely do that. Bend. What? You, I have never known. I will, to bend. I will bend like a reed in the wind. No, you insist on having lunch at noon. It's and, not, it's not and, and your take with me for several years has been that it's outrageous to ask you to do anything but begin eating food at 12 o'clock exactly. When would, when would you like to record? Well, now I record at 11 with everybody. So you, you have won. Your, your victory is a, across the whole spectrum. We all record at 11 now. And that's fine, except that the old, the old, thing about me remains true, which is that I will sleep right up until the moment I, I, I am forced to wake up. And so when did that start for you? Like when in, because I remember in high school when I was, especially once I had a car and I was driving myself, 
but the bus too. I mean, I had it down so that I, I would wake up at the absolute in college too, the mm-hmm. absolute last possible second. And then there would be this mad dash of, you know, you, you put your hair under the, under the faucet in the tub. So it's wet and just, you know, ride out, run out to the car and get in there and like get dirt, you know, button your shirt while you're driving kind of thing. Uh, and, and you, you get there and you're running, you get to your locker in the 1100 building and you hit class and you're there like right as the bell's ringing. That is still my life. In fact, on my way downstairs, I put my head under the kitchen sink and turned the water on just to get the, just to get one half of the sleep out of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then I came down and sat down at the computer and away we go. So what, what struck me when I realized this was that. You know, I, I've transitioned almost completely from a life where my job is making music to a life where my job is talking. And almost every recorded word I've ever said, I have said within 10 minutes to an hour after I woke up. And the hour meaning the end of the show. So is that your peak operating time? No, my peak operating time is probably... 7 to 10 p.m., maybe later, maybe 10 to 2 a.m. And it it struck me, and I I mentioned this to Marilyn several years ago, if I had been doing these shows all these years starting at 10 p.m., this would be a completely different catalog of material. All the stories I've ever told, all of the, you know, the kind of, dribs and drabs, the meandering, uh, voice, the, you know, the, the kind of maudlin insight, you know, all that stuff that, that, um, that characterizes the way I talk to people mm-hmm. is so different at w- within an hour of waking up to what it, to what it is in, in the middle of the night or in the, in the evening. I can't imagine there is an alternate universe set of podcasts that I've done. <laughs> right where you were that, doing them at 10, 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Yeah, that were recorded on the exact day that these have been recorded, but just at night. Mm-hmm. And you would have a, you'd, I think people would think of me as a completely different person. What you're getting, and th- and I don't, this is my podcast voice, which is intrinsically a little groggy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of astonishing, you know the the fact that in a way, like I've chosen or the universe has chosen chosen to to um, to have this be my public persona. I was thinking about it the other day. Up until the time I started doing podcasting, mm-hmm. which was you know within a year or two of of Twitter prior to that all through my twenties and thirties. One of the, one of my strongest desires was to have a platform to talk to the world Mm -hmm. and music was what I found, but, and I was, and I was glad to have that voice but I also wanted to just talk to the world. And through the, all those years, 
the only venue I had, because in the twenties I had no venue, no one was listening to my music and there wasn't another way. I didn't, I never wrote an article for publication. No one ever, ever interviewed me. The only opportunity I had to, to talk to the world was to my immediate world, which I think is the most, that's common for everyone, right? You just, you can talk to your friends. Right. And in my thirties, I, I developed this career where I could stand on a stage with an amplified mic hmm. and talk to the, um, talk to the people that came to see me. And that's, you know, the, that used to be the extent of, of what a, a, a performing person could, could expect, you know, depending on side of the size of the crowd from 50 people to 50,000 people. But still you're on the stage, you're talking to them directly and then writers could get could could disperse their words much more widely. But then, right about the time I turned forty, with the with Twitter and then the ability to podcast, all of a sudden, all of my dreams came true. I had the ability to say exactly what I mean, because in my thirties. I did interviews all the time and I would sit and talk to somebody from the St. Louis post dispatch or the Baltimore sun or whatever. And I would talk to them for an hour and a half and it would be a great conversation. And they'd say, great, I'm going to write this up. And then, you know, the article should be coming out on Wednesday and I would go, awesome. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. And, um, and then, you know, I'd arrive in Baltimore and there would be the paper and I would open it and the article would be, um, you know, the top third of the page and it would have two quotes from me, both of them mistranscribed one of them with, with the wrong punctuation. <laughs> and then the rest of the article would be this writer, whoever they were, you know, like poorly interpreting my lyrics and miss missing entirely what the long winters were, or at least what we were trying to be. And that, you know, and I would just, I would be deflated because I would think back to this conversation I'd had with the writer. And I would say, really, those are the pull quotes you chose. Like, why did you even write this article? Why didn't you just transcribe the interview? Like the whole story you're trying to tell was just transcribe the interview. You ask good questions. Why is it in your nature, music writers to take that and then you know, just like blarb, a blarb, a blarb. Well, see, but for the documentary I'm going to do about you and the long winters, you're going to finally have your chance to set it right. The thing is, I have had that chance. I've been podcasting now for almost 10 years. I have set all the stories down, right? Like, I, it's in a way, it's like I have been completely validated by the world. Uh, and I'm able to tell new stories. It's just that I'm telling them all in, I'm telling every, I'm told every single one of these stories somewhat half asleep. <laughs> and I would never have thought like, oh yeah, you know, you're the, the person that people are going to think you are, the person you want to be is, you know, like this kind of half asleep bear. Um, because you know, at, at 11 o'clock at night, I'm a very animated person, you know, and I'm very like. Uh, it's not that I'm not animated, but I think one of the, one of the things that, one of the things that establishes my, 
my tempo in these conversations uh, with you and with Merlin and with the, the other guys I podcast with, you know, there's a kind of slowness to me, like a sort of like you're coming for, out of hibernation almost. Yeah. Like a searching for words or I'm <laughs> thinking about kind of get, to, I get to the point. Sometimes I, if you read a transcript, some of my sentences are kind of belabored or, I mean, I start off this way and then I wander over through the garden and I kind of go up the ladder and across a little, little Japanese bridge. And then I get to the end of the sentence and it's like, wow, that was boy, a lot of comma splicing there. And that's very much how I talk when I'm kind of asleep. And, and, um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a lesser version of me, it's just such a different one than than the one that I think of as like my actual self. Yeah. I, by the time we're done talking today, Dan, I will have I will have swept to the last embers of sleep back into the back into fireplace. And I mean, right there, what the hell am I talking about? The last embers of sleep? That's not a phrase. <laughs> Well, what am I even, you're coining phrases and you don't even know that yeah, you're doing it, you know? Yeah, but that's just a kind of like larb, darb, darb, darb. Uh, but, you know, that'll all be gone. And by the end of the show, and maybe that's it. I mean, every every show I do is a, is an hour of listening to me wake up. And by the end, I'm, I'm, I'm who you would expect me to be. I don't know. No one has ever. <laughs> I, no like, one has ever I like that. Pointed out that there's anything about the first 10 minutes of, of these podcasts that's, that's appreciably different from the last, but the whole framework of at least this show and Roderick on the line, the whole framework of it is that, you know, there's no topic, but, but I don't think people appreciate how, how much I walk in, um, like only three quarters of the way to consciousness. Like I'm a slow waker upper, you know, like it's mm. like I pad into these conversations as someone who's hoping at hoping in the early, in the first 10 minutes that no one will notice that I'm still just sort of like, hello. Oh, <laughs> hi Dan. Like, bleh. Like, like you, like you would be at a campfire in the, uh, you know, when you're trying to get that first pot of coffee going. Right. So, oh, and that's the other thing, coffee. Like I, I drink eight cups of coffee a day, but when you talk to me, I have had two sips of coffee. Like the coffee hasn't started working. The, the, the caffeine, which is like my handmaiden caffeine. Hmm. That's really the only drug I'm allowed. And every one of those studies that you read, every time I, I, I see a, a study of any kind that has caffeine in the title, I always shudder in fear. Oh, because that's the only thing you've got left. And, and, and I pick up those articles and I'm like, please do not tell me that caffeine is a bad drug. Please do not tell me that caffeine is a bad drug. And every one of these articles says, well, we really tried and tried and tried to find something wrong with coffee 
and we just couldn't do it. It turns out that you can drink coffee and it's not really bad for you. And, and by all accounts, maybe kind of good for you. Anyway, see you later. Mm -hmm. Signed scientist. That's all you want to hear. It's really all I want to hear. And every time one of those studies comes out and I don't see it, my mom sees it Mm -hmm. and she forwards it to me and she's like, victory. And I'm like, (laughs) hooray, caffeine and coffee still is fine. And she's like, it's fine. And then we say, well, we probably shouldn't put milk in it. That's probably the bad thing. But then we go, it doesn't matter. It's coffee is still fine. It really, I, I really love it. I know everybody's mad at me because I don't drink good coffee, but but I really do love coffee. I well, really appreciate it. I think, it. again, this is something the documentary will bring out. It's not yeah. that you don't yeah. like good coffee or prefer good coffee. It's that you're by nature, lazy is not the right word. It's just a minimalist in your activity. Hmm. Nice way to put it. And so if there is, co- and also... Uh, you don't like to waste things. And so dumping out coffee from yesterday would be wasteful if you could drink it. Absolutely. That would be totally wasteful. Environmentally conscious. I prefer delicious coffee. (laughs) Of course. I prefer the most delicious coffee. (laughs) I prefer prefer those $8 cups of coffee that you get in New York City. Of course. I've had had a $22 cup of coffee where the beans came out of a civet's butt. Are you trying that kind? Oh yeah. Oh, I want to try that. Yeah. It, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't pay for it. Jonathan Colton was like, you got to have one of these and bought it for me. And I was like, seems kind of dumb. And he was like, that's what I used to think. And then I had one and Dan, I could see around corners. I could see around <laughs> corners for four hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was the greatest. Mm-hmm. I've been considering, I went to a, I went, did I tell you this? I went to a house and they had one of those DeLonghi espresso machines. Mm, I think did I tell did. you this story? Yeah, I think you did. I'm thinking about getting one, but they're a thousand dollars. Yeah. And that seems crazy. They're a thousand dollars and they need a lot of maintenance. But the idea of having like a chocolatey little espresso start the day mm-hmm. instead of some sort of witch's brew that's been sitting on the counter. Yeah. It feels, it feels worth it. Given that that is given that espresso is one of my only vices. I think, I think coffee and ice cream, they bookend my day. I start with coffee. I'll drink coffee until the last possible moment. And then I switch to ice cream. If I could just, if I could just moderate those things, I would be in a state of total equilibrium. Um, it's just that <laughs> what it, what the, instead of, instead of equilibrium, what it looks like is my life is a barbell with one giant weight of coffee on one side and a giant weight of ice cream on the other. And, and I guess it's still <laughs> equilibrium. It's now see, that, that should be our next t-shirt is the way you just described right there. That would be good. <laughs> Atlas holding up the world, except the world is a barbell and the barbell is made of coffee and ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I appreciate so much that everyone that listens to these shows, um, 
is there for it. And I wonder whether there's so many people in podcasting, and I say this only by um, uh, only as an assumption because I haven't listened to that many podcasts, and by that many I mean more than a couple. But I know a lot of podcasters. You know I do. Yeah, you know all I, of them. All the good I ones. I see them all the time. I know them all. And um, there are a lot of fast talkers. There are a lot of of uh, loud laughers and um, fun, funny, 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 funnies. Uh huh. And I, I wonder whether that uh that people kind of maybe use use these shows to go to sleep at night or to I've, I've heard that i've heard that um i've been you know and people mean it as a compliment but they say i you know you you help me fall asleep every you know every night dan yeah. or something like that maybe it's maybe it's the it's dr johnny <laughs> fever principle <laughs> what's that well the the johnny fever style of djing which is like hey fellow daddies hey babies yeah or whatever you know, Don, I mean, Johnny like Fever isn't a morning DJ. He's a he's a late night DJ. I'll help anyone any way I can, and if if my voice or our voice is somehow helping people sleep, I feel like that's a gift that mm-hmm. I'm happy to give to anyone. But it's also not like I'd if your choices give me a compliment or don't, I'll take the compliment. I need all the compliments I can get, but oh, yeah, it's not my favorite compliment. My favorite compliment would wouldn't be you put me to sleep when I listen to you, <laughs> but uh-huh. I'd rather do that than, than not be complimented or not help them fall asleep. If I, if, you know, so maybe what I should be doing is like, uh, getting out a public domain book and just record myself reading it in the most relaxed way possible mm-hmm. to just allow people to enjoy the content of the book and fall asleep and learn biosmosis. I should just go through the encyclopedia Britannica Start with Aardvark, go to Zebra, and entertain and help the people sleep. Because no one's sleeping right now during COVID. Everyone's sleep is is absolute crap right now. Yeah, yeah. I believe Literally it. everybody. Is. Everybody. I woke up this morning, 5 a.m. Why? Nothing. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on at 5. I didn't go to sleep till 1230. There's not huh. enough sleep. Oh, Dan, are you anxiety waking? I don't really feel, I'm going to say yes, but I'm not waking up in a state of anxiety. I'm not waking up from an anxious dream or any dream. I'm just simply my eyes open. It's peaceful. Uh My eyes are just, I wake up and I look at the clock or the, my phone and it says five twelve. Okay. That's wonderful. And you know, I know that I could sleep two more hours yeah. before I need, before I need to be present for my children. So my inclination is to try to go back to sleep and some days I can do it. And in fact, I was on a really good roll for a while. What I did was I was waking up at like five 30 every morning and I just fought it. I fought it. I was able to fall back to sleep a couple days in a row and it cured it. And then I was just sleeping straight through to like seven. And then yesterday and today, now it's like the five o'clock bird is chirping and I wake up and now I'm just like awake and it does the, the mind does not want to go back to sleep. 
It doesn't want to. And I'm not feeling anxious. I'm not upset. I'm not worrying. It's just, no, now you're awake. And I know literally everybody that I know is sleeping horribly right now. Every single person that I know, I don't like it. I want to be the guy that doesn't have a problem sleeping. I go right back to sleep in those situations, almost always. But I noticed, like for instance, last night, the dreams that I, that I woke up from to come do this show were super fun. Um, but they were dreams about, I mean, they were dreams that basically looked like I was in the world of, um, I was in the world of, of the Terminator. Like there were (laughs) robots, they were murder robots. Yeah. They were chasing us through an old Italian town. The walls of the city were crumbling behind us as we ran, but I didn't feel any more or less scared than normal. I was just, um, I felt pretty good. I had, I had, uh, I had, I had the town mapped and, uh, and in a way, like a lot of the more recent architecture, I was glad to see destroyed. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know, I woke up from that and it was like, oh, oh no, you know, it's because honestly, Dan, I swear to you, I set my alarm for 1055 to do an 11 o'clock show and the alarm goes off and I'm like, I don't have, there's no wiggle. I can't roll over and go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. I can't say like just a couple more minutes of this dream. Like I have to sit up put my clothes on, walk past the coffee maker. Hopefully it's, hopefully someone in this house has made new coffee. If not, it's old coffee and I have to stand and stare at the microwave for two minutes. And then I sit down and it's, you know, and you're always a little bit in a peak that I'm, that I was six minutes late. That's the six minutes it took me to walk down the stairs. Cause I have to, I have to walk so gingerly because I can't see. And that's where I was just a few minutes ago in a, in a hellscape, in a, in some kind of like post-apocalyptic robot war. (laughs) And I wasn't, I'm not even anxious about it. I wasn't anxious in the dream. I was just like, oh yeah, that's, I kind of hate to leave it. Like I really leave, I'm leaving my friends in a lurch, you know, they're all like, where are you going? And I'm like, sorry, I've got a podcast. And I disappear. Mm Mm-hmm. They're like, fuck, man. I mean, they're still there fighting that war and they don't have me. And I have the town mapped. <laughs> can so, you return to it? Can you, if you wake up from a dream, can you go back into the dream? Yeah. If it's, if it's one of those, like I woke up, I look around, I turn over and I grab my pillow and, and go back in. I can, if I get up even for a minute, I can't. I used to be able to. I used to live in dreams. I I dreamt so deeply and I remembered them and they were so important to me, my dream life. And I think that still exists in me. I just don't remember them. When I come out of a dream, it's like it's like those those movies you see where something is coming up out of the sea and you don't you're looking straight down. The camera's pointed straight down into the into the murky sea, and mm-hmm. you just start to see a shadow, and then it becomes a figure, and then it's there. It's that, except in reverse. Like I'm, 
basically I'm watching myself come out of sleep or something and I'm like, Oh wait, wait, I, I was in a whole world. I was in a, I was in a universe and it just, it just goes away so fast Mm. that I'm, that I'm left kind of standing there dripping wet. Like, wow, how did I, where was I a second ago? And it's, Oh, it's just images. And then it's just sense impressions and then it's gone. I used to be able to stay in the in between long enough that I could gather together the uh, gather those memories and kind of feel like I, it was still a, a, a matter of looking back and down into a murk, but I would still be in I'd still be in the sleep, so I would know I'd, I'd get the narrative, mm-hmm. and that's what happened today. I woke up, kind of I came up so fast that that I had all these pictures still like, Oh, what it is is that I could remember the past five minutes. Do you, I mean, do you normally wake up remembering your dreams these days? No, I Me mean, neither. just, just barely. And, and I miss it. I miss that. I, I can't tell you. I mean, if I remember a dream once a month, that's pretty frequent for me. I used to remember every dream every night. I had great, crazy dreams and wake up I'm like, Whoa, that was a weird dream. Now it's like, Nope. Nothing, just a black hole. Do you have nightmares? I don't have anything. I have had nightmares. And I mean, my nightmares in your life, are, surely, but but ha, are nightmares a feature of your no, no very dream life? very 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 rare that I would have them. In fact, I can in my adult life, I've probably had ten, like very very rarely, and they're almost always the same. The nightmares are usually, and it's pretty obvious what they symbolize. I mean, it's it's. It's no surprise, but usually there is some kind of apocalyptic, either globally apocalyptic or, or regionally apocalyptic event that has taken place. I'll give you the two primary examples. And there's a third that's happened. The first would be a, a massive F five tornado is approaching and I can see it. And perhaps I'm the only one that is aware of it and other people don't seem to be taking it seriously. And my role in the dream is to bring them to a a place where they can look out the window and see that this giant tornado is on its way barreling down and, uh, and, and that we need to do something about this, like get out of, of, of the area or something or hunker down or whatever, or there has already been some kind of apocalyptic event such as a nuclear war. And now we're sort of like this horrible giant thing has happened. And now we need to, you know, make our last stand against the mutants or, you know, something like that. And then the very occasional third one is alien invasion, but otherwise the concept is the same. Wow. Alien invasion. huh? And it would sound like, this is a frequent thing. I've only had these dreams, like I said, a handful of times in my whole life, but they're pretty much the only n- nightmare or bad dream that I've ever really had ever. Unless you count the, like you're walking and you trip and, and fall. And for like one split second, you're falling and uh, you, wake, uh, you wake up. Those are basically, I don't, but I don't count that as a bad dream. Really. That's more just like that little startle thing. Yeah, those are pretty much the only bad dreams I've ever had. And there usually was, especially when I was younger, the tornado one would be pretty common. But then, then what's, you know, what stopped that dream from happening is 
normally in the dream, I would be trying to avoid the, the tornado in some way. And like, Hey guys, like look out the window. We got to get out of here, you know, or hide from it in some way. But in this one dream, I said, this time I'm, I'm just going to stay put and see what happens. And the tornado came over and I looked up inside of the tornado and I saw all the way up into the sky, into the clear blue sky that was inside of the tornado. And then it passed away and I haven't had that dream since. Huh. And it's probably been five, more than five years since I had any of the other dreams anyway. But I know what it means. I mean, obviously it's pretty, you know, I, I believe in that the dream is your, like, I'm, I don't ascribe to the philosophy that like, oh, well, I, I had a zebra in my dream and therefore, uh, cause I remember before I said aardvark to zebra. So I had a zebra in my dream and zebra means you, you know, you, you should avoid going somewhere on Saturday. Like I don't, I don't ascribe to that or, oh, you had a spider. That means your fear of a whatever. No, I, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I is that a philosophy? A, yeah, well, I, I, I mean, it's a thing. It is a thing, yeah. And my take is, what do those things mean to you? What are the symbol, a some symbolic meaning of the thing that was in your dream? What does it mean to you? Like, here's a great, here's a great example. My mom never listens to this show, so she won't care. Um, this is probably 20 years ago. She told me about this dream. And, you know, she would, when she started to go a little gray, she would get her hair colored. And, uh, and, you know, she'd go to the local, you know, hair salon place and they'd put some color in her hair and she'd come out looking like there was no gray. And, you know, this was something that I guess she would do. I don't know how often women do that every month. I don't know, but she would go in and do this. And of course, you know, she, oh, I got to go get my hair dyed. You know, she would call it dying. And so she had this one dream where they were going to color her hair dye her hair. And she kept saying, no dying, no dying, no dying. I don't want dying, no dying. And you know, this of course is symbolic. Obviously when you hear about it, you're like, oh, she didn't want to die. Like that must've been what was on her mind. Maybe she watched a movie or something like that. Like that kind of thing. If you, if you inspect your dream and you think about what it could mean and what those different things in the dream mean to you or how you feel about them, I think that's where the dream interpretation stuff is fun and, and kind of makes sense. It's like, what does that mean to you? Just because you dreamt of a, oh, you know, a cow doesn't mean whatever you, that it's going to bring prosperity to your family. But I have had prophetic dreams before. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I don't want them. I don't want prophetic dreams because they, when I've had them, they've come true. And um, I don't like that at all. Uh, and they've come, the few prophetic dreams that I've had, there've only been maybe two or three were 100% accurate and, uh, involved people dying and it's been horrible. And I hope I never have another one of those. Mm. I don't want to be warned. When, when, when I, when I realized that there were people in the world that suffered from nightmares, on a regular basis. Like night terrors? No, like nightmares. Mm. Um, it was kind of like when it, when it, when it really sunk in that there were people whose lives were, um, shadowed by headaches, you know, 
we have friends that have headaches and it's a normal part of their their lives and i don't have headaches and so when i'm going through life and just sort of dealing with stuff mm-hmm. It never occurs to me that I should also be worried about getting a headache or trying to do stuff and cope with a headache. And headaches are terrible. They're terrible for everybody. And some people have terrible headaches. And you wouldn't know it by looking at them, right? And realizing that, and that happened a long time ago where I was like, oh, right. And headaches are just one of 500 things that other people might be coping with at any given moment true some of them are coping with you know grief some of them are coping with all over itching you know there's just my sister kind of is fond of saying like assume every person that you are interacting with is having the worst day and you will have compassion for everybody because they you know, there's a, as good a chance as any that they are, but nightmares to feel like your sleep life is something that you dread mm-hmm. or that, you know, that you aren't getting good sleep because Freddy Krueger is showing up every time you close your eyes. Um, that's not a problem I have just like you. I, I can't even count the number of nightmares I've had in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. because, because it's a negligible amount. And I mean, knock on wood, I do sometimes wake up with a start. Yeah. But that, that might not be a nightmare. That definitely happens. Yeah. I wake up in a state of like super cranked up, like go to war kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And I have to, I have to calm myself down. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of, I've had a couple of, you know, dreams where I was, where I had a bunch of owls in my room and I was awake, but couldn't move. But I found those dreams to be very soothing. Not at all upsetting. Maybe not soothing. That's probably not the right word. A little. Therapeutic? No, but let's, let's say intriguing. I was intrigued and not afraid. And it's a, it's a thing. I can't imagine being a grown up and having to reckon with nightmares. My daughter has yet, I think to have a, a true nightmare. Uh, Every once in a while she's in her bed and I hear her kind of fussing and I go in and look at her and you know, she's obviously tussling with something in Mm. her dream. Yeah. But she's not, she doesn't seem in distress. When I was a kid, I had, I had nightmares or I had a nightmare or two. Um, and they're awful. They're very scary. We would like to say thank you very much to our sponsor today. It is Squarespace. You can turn your cool idea into a new website, showcase your work, announce an upcoming event, a special project, promote your physical or online business. You can sell stuff product services of all kinds on Squarespace. Squarespace does this by giving you the ability to customize look and feel the settings, the products, and more with just a few clicks. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. They even have a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 domain name extensions right there 
while you're building your site or just get a domain. You don't even have to build the site to do it. It's got built-in search engine, search engine optimization. You've got the hosting is built in. You don't have to worry about upgrading anything or security patches or anything like that. And they even have 24-7 award-winning customer support. They're encouraging you to make it yourself. You know, you can easily create that website by yourself. You don't have to hire someone. You don't have to worry that they're going to get the job done. And you can make it stand out with a beautiful website. So think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Go over to squarespace.com slash roadwork. That's the URL that lets them know you listen to the show. Just by visiting that URL, they're going to see the traffic. They're going to say, oh, wow, we had this many visitors. So please consider just doing that. But while you're there, check it out. See what you can build with Squarespace. And when you are ready to get that domain name or start your site or start your business, use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, and you will get an amazing 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's right. So squarespace.com slash ROADWORK, support us. Support yourself by using that promo code ROADWORK for that discount, 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. So it's another, it's another thing I guess I'm grateful for that what, in whatever roll of the dice it was where as I was getting made up at the factory, they were like, well, in his 50s, he's going to start having problems with his hands, but no headaches and no nightmares. Let's move him on down the, you know, get him off the assembly line. It's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for not including those options. Ah, I mean, my, my sleep is my, I love to sleep. I don't like going to sleep and I don't like waking up, but I love to sleep. I wish I could just figure out the, where the entrance door was and where the exit door was and keep those things like reliably positioned. Cause every single night I have no idea where the door is right. to sleep and I'll be in the house. I'll be doing something monkeying around and I'll look at the clock and I'll go, you have to go to sleep. And and I'll rebel. I'll say, oh, God, all right, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, it's it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, I should go to sleep. And I go in, and I'm, I know that the door to sleep is in my – it's got to be close to the bed because that's where I do the sleeping. And I go lay in the bed, and it's like, is this the door? No, that's a window. Is this the door? No, that's the uncomfortable pillow. Why do you even have one pillow that you hate? Like <laughs> right. Why, why do we, why do we keep those? Those should no yeah, longer exist. Get rid of that one. It's not, you, de- you every time you reach for it, you're like, Oh, not that. pillow. <laughs> so get it out. <laughs> no, you're totally right. And everyone has one of those guys. But there it is. It's right there. It's, I, I don't throw it away. It's still there. Yeah. And then I go, is this the door to sleep? Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Uh, maybe I should drink a glass of water. Uh, you know, my, the, my left foot itches, you know, there's just no, I don't, directly address a like a well-established oaken door even though i go through that door every single night i do not walk up three granite steps and reach out for the large brass knob and say here i am instead it's just it's this moving target i'm just like 
I'm in a trench in an X-wing fighter. People are talking to me. They want my. They want me to. They don't know why I switched off my targeting computer. I'm just like, I got this. It's fine. Ah. But it turns out every time I'm Porkins, and not Luke, <laughs> and I end up, you know, ah. And then coming out the other side, it's the same. I think there are a lot of people that like the alarm goes off, the door appears, they walk through it. And for me, it's like, it's like, uh, every time I wake up, I'm sort of, I'm in a cave. It's like, I think I see light, but the passage is blocked. There's a rock, you know? Oh, but over here, like, follow me, tumble down. And then it's like, sometimes I pop my head up and I'm in a grassy field and I just wish that was slightly more regular, slightly more regulated, where at least I knew where the where to expect to find those doors. Because if I didn't have, if I was in a state where, I mean, I'm, I, it's almost like I am living like a refugee, but in a house. Well, you are kind of a refugee in a, in a house, aren't you? But I'm even, I am, you're right. But even when I have my own house, I'm kind of a refugee there in that there's never any pattern. It's, I wake up in the day and I, and I travel all day. And when I get to the end of the day, I'm kind of always in a different place than where I started. I don't ever feel like, um, what what you kind of should feel if you're living in a in a house is that you're in a regular place you're in a, you're in the course of a day you're kind of moving in a big circle you get up you move out and then you start headed back and then you end up where you started and for me it's like you know when you envision the earth spinning and the moon is spinning around it and mm. it's spinning around the sun but then the whole of the solar system is also moving through space really fast. So, so the whole thing is in motion at a level that, that we never think to comprehend. Right. And I really kind of, I don't, I, I really feel that in the sense that where I wake up, is so far away from where I go to sleep and the line is not a circle. I'm just, you know, I'm always moving through space and time. And even though it's the same bed every night, I just feel like I've traveled so far and, and a lot of it was, a lot of it was just falling or, or I wasn't, um, it was, it wasn't directed. It was just motion and like, but, but palpably like a traveling motion rather than a, hmm. you know, a rocking back and forth or a, or a, um, it, it feels like I'm in motion a lot more than just that my feet are traveling. I mean, I feel very much in motion right now and always do. Um, and that, you know, and that is partly like why it, it feels like so many things in life are a moving target for me that, 
that it's, you know, it's, there's no place that's the same as it was when I saw it last. And, and I don't have any expectation. Every time I walk out of the house, I have no idea what's going to happen. So even things that are patterns where I have to be the same place on Wednesdays or I have to, you know, or I'm headed out because I'm going to a place that I know that I go to all the time and I'm doing a regular thing. I don't really have a clear feeling walking out the door that any of that habitual motion is, is dependable or, or that, that it's mundane because every time I set out, it, it just, it kind of feels like a new world. It feels like all the possibilities are, they all exist again. I might make it to my destination and I might not. And when I get there, my destination might be what I expect and it might not. And it's a, it's a, it's relaxing or, or rather I, I live in that. I live in that world. I feel pretty relaxed about it because I don't, because it's not something that I'm thinking about or trying to make happen. It's just how I, it's just how I perceive the world, but it does make everything feel less consequential. It, uh, I feel because yeah. it just, it seems like other people feel like the world is more solid. And so their travel through it is solid. And I guess, I guess it feels much more, uh, fluid, although not wet fluid without being wet. <laughs> okay. And my sister has been, <clears throat> you know, my, my mom, and my sister are people with a lot of theories. They got more theories than most people. And we're living in an era when everybody's got a freaking theory about everything all the time. But my mom and sister were way ahead of this. Like I got a new theory about everything all the time game. They've been doing this to me since I was pretty little. And the difference, the difference between my mom and sister and me is that I have a theory every day, but I got nothing to support it. I'm just, you know, it's just the way I, when I wake up in the morning, I, the, the first thought that I have it sort of starts to coalesce into a theory right away. Oh like, yeah. Huh. I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder what that, Oh yeah, that's, well, that kind of interesting. What if, what if I put that up against this and does that constitute a, Hey, look at that. I've got a theory. My mom and sister always have a book to back up the theory. Like I was reading this book and I need you to read it because it supports this theory I'm working on. It's like, Oh boy. But Susan lately has been <clears throat> pushing this idea that there's a that there's a condition called HSP. Highly sensitive person. You're you're aware of this, the HSP. Very, very aware of it. And she says that she thinks that she's an HSP, mm-hmm. and she thinks that I have a. Um, like a very, like I am a H H S P 
What is the HHSP? Highly, highly, highly sensitive mm, person. Okay. Or a highly, highly sensitive person, I guess is how you would pronounce it. And she's like, you've got to read this. You've got to, you've got to absorb this concept, the HSP, because I think it will explain a lot of how you, you know, how the world washes over you and, and how you respond to it. So the, for the people yeah. in, our, in our audience, John, not to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no, I, go ahead. I'm going to add a link uh, for people who are interested to think this might be them. There is um, a website called hsperson.com. And it has a self-test that you can take. And here are some questions at the top of this page. It says, is this you? And so I'm going to read these and, and I, we won't go through the whole test. I'll just read the ones that are at the top of this page, John, and you answer yes or no. Are you easily overwhelmed by such things as bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or sirens nearby? Yes. Do you get rattled when you have a lot to do in a short amount of time? Yes. Do you make a point of avoiding violent movies and TV shows? I don't like them. Do you need to withdraw during busy days into bed or a darkened room or some other place where you can have privacy and relief from the situation? Yes. Do you make it a high priority to arrange your life to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations? No. Do you notice or enjoy delicate or fine scents, tastes, sounds, or works of art? Yes. Do you have a rich and complex inner life? Yeah. And we know that when you were a child, did your parents or teachers see you as sensitive or shy? Sensitive, but not shy. Your trait is normal. It's found in 15 to 20% of the population too many to be a disorder, but not enough to be well understood by the majority of those around you. And so this, this website among others explains all about the HSP, which it does sound like you are. Those were the main questions. Uh, and so they, they have something called SPS, which is called sensory processing sensitivity. Mm-hmm. This is a personality trait that involves an increased sensitivity of the central nervous system and a deeper cognitive processing of physical, social, and emotional stimuli, which is characterized by a tendency to pause to check in novel situations, greater sensitivity to subtle stimuli, and the engagement of deeper cognitive processing strategies for employing coping actions, all of which is driven by a heightened emotional reactivity, both positive and negative. Right. Now, I know that I have an unusual sensitivity to stimulus mm-hmm. because I, because over the course of my life, right, why don't I listen to music? I, it makes no sense. I love music. I make music. When, I, when music that I love is playing and when music that I don't love is playing, I'm utterly fascinated by it. Um, I, can, I can listen to music you know, really deeply, but I don't want music playing. I don't like it when it's playing in the background. I don't want it on when I'm cleaning the house. I don't, I don't like it in the sense that I don't want to consume it. It's very invasive. It's invasive almost. It's super invasive mm-hmm. and it's, it's distracting and it's irritating. You know, when music is playing in the background, it's irritating. And when I'm at the supermarket and there's music playing, I sometimes stop and listen to the music and I'm like, what are you doing? You're at the supermarket. Like, stop it. And I'm like, well, why are they playing this music if they don't want you to listen to it? And the same is true of sense. Um, I don't like sense. I don't want 
perfume or, or, um, incense or oils. Like I don't want those scents on things. I don't want them in houses. I don't want them on garments. I don't want them on people. Mm-hmm. And scents can really turn me off of a, of a place, of a situation and of a person. Like if the smells are, are wrong, like I don't, it's just not a place I want to be. I don't want to, I don't want to explore it. Yep. Same, and, same from, same for me, John, all this stuff. Um, yeah. And it's the same so with, you know, like lights and, yeah. Oh yeah. um, so I know that that's all true because it's just not arguable. Right. And what it's, but all of the other stuff, the suggestion of it being, well, so I don't, I know that it's unusual because I have a lot of people in my life that want music playing. I mean, think about all the people that turn on the TV when they get home and they want something going. Blah, 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 yeah. No, I never, I don't put any, house. I don't put a TV on. I don't put the radio on. I don't drive listening to the radio most of the time. Sometimes at the end of the day, if I'm driving home, I'll listen to a song. Yeah. But I, I'm not the kind of person who would just, well, I just have the radio playing unless I'm trying to like, unless there's some other distraction that I'm trying to, <laughs> to block out. How do you feel about a sound machine? Oh, <clears throat> when, when there's a like, yeah, yeah. Like a white noise or a, or a rainstorm sound or something like that. When someone initially turns one of those on. I go, you cannot be serious. Why would I want this thing screaming at me? Cause it sounds like a hell scream to me, <sighs> but then very quickly, if I accept it, if I don't like <clears throat> rebel, then I can, then I understand those things, you know, then, then I'm like, oh, okay. Sure. That's, you just recalibrate. That's your new background noise. You know, your new level of background noise. And because I'm not, I'm not meant to be focusing on anything. That's the point. I can, I can accept static, but I do, I would, I don't seek that stuff out. You know, I don't have a white noise machine. I used to turn one on for my little girl mm-hmm. and my sister uses them. But yeah, for me, it's like, it, it feels like, it feels like taking a chemical kind of, but I do get it right. I can understand it. But, uh, but I, but a lot of that stuff, I mean, when they say a disorder, I just roll my eyes. It just feels like, <clears throat> I guess like a lot of people that have a a disorder, (laughs) it feels very natural to me. I don't understand people that don't, uh, that don't have that response. I wouldn't trade it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think I would want to be able or to desire to listen to music more. Um, because whatever it is that I, what I, that I am feels like the right thing to be. And, you know, whether that extends to this cognitive processing thing, I'm, I, when I, when I prefer silence and when I prefer to be in a place of no stimulation, 
it doesn't, I don't feel it as a curse. You know, I'm not like, I'm overwhelmed. I have to get out of here. <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> my, my internal perception of it is like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. Got to get out of here. And it feels very, I'm very confident in it. And <clears throat> it feels like a, like a welcome. Um, it feels welcome to be able to, and, and maybe it's, it's that I've, I've made my life or I'm lucky to have uh, lucky to be able to most of the time say, that's it. I'm done. And if I had this, if I had this and because there are plenty of times in my life where I can't leave, I get overstimulated and I, and I have to still be there. Mm-hmm. You know, rock concerts are incredibly. I, that that just, was my question for you is knowing all the concerts and, <clears throat> and stuff that, that you attend and go to, I, it occurs to me that those are very stimulating and overstimulating. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you from my own personal experience, I've been to many, 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 many concerts compared to you. I haven't been to any, but compared to the average person, I've probably been to a lot because I, um, in college, I got a job as basically like an usher in, uh, at the, um, at the arena at the university, which is where, you know, 50% of the acts that came through Orlando at the time went through that, uh, arena. And so I got to see all, all the acts that came through, maybe more than 50%, um, came through there and I, I got to see them. And I always found that to be stimulation wise, like way overstimulating. And I always wore, and I still wear earplugs if I know it's going to be like really loud. And part of that is because like I'm an audio nerd and I, I care about my hearing, but also it was just, too, it was just a lot. It was just a lot, you know? And how do you do it? How do you, especially if you're like, you're on stage, we've talked about earplugs and hearing stuff before. I mean, how did you mitigate that? I calibrate in the same way that the, that the machine that, that goes, you just go, Oh, okay. I get this. And you just calibrate to it. It's like a white balance. When I walk into a a club, I know and, and especially like if I walk into a club at five o'clock in the afternoon, cause we're loading my gear in and we're about to do sound check and I'm looking at eight hours where I'm going to be in this space. It's going to be a crush of people. The, everything's going to be outrageous. The lights, the smells, the, the volume, the number of people and their, uh, and their attention it's just, it's all completely off the scale, really. I mean, being at a rock concert and performing a rock concert is just the, the, the amount of stimulation is just pegs the needle. And so going into those situations, I recalibrate. My new zero is 100. Right. And so that's just, but that's for like a limited time only kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, temporary engagement. Yeah. And that's why at the end of the night, I, I do not ever want to go from the venue to a party. You know, I don't at the end of the night, I don't ever want to go out into the parking lot and play another show for the fans that are waiting around the tour bus. And there are lots and lots of musicians that after the show, they want to go to the party and after the party, they want to go to the smaller party and just like, they want to ride it. They want to surf it. 
like keep that party going. And I'm absolutely not that I calibrate for what I expect to be a, a, an intense burst. And the thing is when I recalibrate, I'm not, it's not that I go into those environments and I'm enduring them. I go into those environments and I'm happy to be there and I'm enjoying myself and the, the music is immersive. It's immersive is the thing. Yeah. You, you're in that space and you're absolutely immersed in it. Um, and so then I can swim out of it. The only trouble I get into is when I'm in that, um, I'm in a situation like that. And then against my plan or uh, through, through no fault of my own, I'm then propelled into another immersive situation that I can't escape. Right. That's when I start to be like, uh, well, that, that, that I become like super, super sensitive and, and being on tour worked because we would get off the stage. The rest of the guys would get in the back of the van and go to sleep and I would drive, I'd drive us into the night. And so the end of the day, I would always have three or four hours where I was driving and everyone else was asleep. So, you know, that's very soothing to me. You know, that's, that's a time when I could gradually sort of calibrate back to just the hum of the tires on the road and mm-hmm. the, the headlights on the highway. And now I spend most of my time calibrated to my daughter, her level of attention, her, that her needs, her desire for contact and interaction is much, much higher than my mind would naturally be. But I just calibrate to her and it's like, right. I know that I'm not going to have any peace, any dependable peace before 9 PM which is, I think, how most people live, right? That's why they they come home and they put the kids to bed and then they have a scotch and lean back in the chair and, and I don't know, watch TV or whatever people Absolutely, do. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's, um, and that's the, that's the frustrating point of my son, who's like almost 13. He's not fully independent yet. He needs just a little stuff around the bedtime routine. Just a bit, not much, but it's just enough that I have to wait for him to be like lights out before I can be really begin my evening. But because he's almost 13, he's not going to sleep until like 10 something now. <laughs> so it's like, I used to be like eight o'clock it's time. I get the rest of the night. Now it's like, well, it's ten fifteen, And this has actually pushed my bedtime even later because right. the amount of time that I require to decompress from the day which does not and cannot begin until there are no children awake is just being pushed later and later and later. So now if he's not, if I'm not, he's not doing lights out until 10, 15, well, my evening doesn't start until 10, 15, which means right. I'm not going to go to bed till 12 something. And I still have to wake up at six 30 or seven. That doesn't change. He just needs less sleep, but he's not independent enough that he can do everything by himself. I was just telling him the other day, I'm like, listen, this is how I wanted to go. Like, I want you to, you know, when we, when I look at the, when we look at the clock and determine it, it's time. 
you go upstairs, you do all your, take your shower, brush your teeth, everything else. And you just say goodnight to me before you even go upstairs. Say goodnight, dad. I'll give you a big hug, send you on your way. And I'll, I won't see you until the morning. He's like, <laughs> yeah, but what about this? And what about that? I'm like, nope, not going to do those anymore. He's like, what do you mean you're not doing? You got to, I still need you to do. I'm like, fine. How much longer? So, you know, I'm, I'm beholden to that. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what time your girl goes to bed. Um, my daughter, who's the same age and almost the same name as your daughter, I think probably go to bed around the same time. But my son now, and he doesn't want to go to bed. He's staying up. And sometimes he's, he'll still be awake an hour and a half later when I go to bed. He's still up. All right. You know, he'll be, you know, walking around up there, going to use the restroom, get a drink, whatever. Like, what are you doing awake? Eh, I'm still awake. And I know, you know, I'm like, this is my time, dude. This is the house is mine at 1030. Like no one else gets to be awake right now. (laughs) This is mine. And, um, he's awake. People don't think about this when you, when you, when you have a kid, you're not thinking that like, you're going to have to stay up an hour later than you want to. Not because the kid's like two years old and has, you know. It has a cold or something, but just because like your kid is wants to watch TV and play video games. Yeah, I uh, I used to even after I had a kid have uh, have things calibrated very differently because I because I work from home. So I think a lot of people their pain is that they wake up in the morning, their kids have all these needs, then the kids go to school and then they go to work and they have to do, they have to live in that world. And then they come home. Like they only get the night. Whereas I used to get my kid off to school. And then I had a lot of the day to myself. Right. And then I had her in the evening in, in another intense burst, a longer intense burst. And of course with COVID there is no, day or night there is no work or sleep there are no weekends it's all it's just it's a a constant it's just just, it's like they do those experiments where they take somebody and they put them in a room where the light's just on the whole time and they don't have anything to indicate what time it is they can't see outside and eventually their days start to become like 20 hour days because they don't they don't know what else to do and they, their natural clock gets thrown off. It's almost like that's what COVID has done to all of us. It's just one day stretching out and on and on and on into the, into the distance with no end in sight. I, wa- I wonder, I, I know everybody's wondering what it's going to be like when we're not, when we're done with COVID, but in the midst of all this, you know, one of these days, my house is going to be finished and I'm going to move. And those days get closer and closer. Um, and so in the middle of all of this, I'm going to go from this place where I've been living quite comfortably, but very intensely on top of my family, like really, (laughs) really very, very, together mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm going to have a whole house that's mine that is that I bought at a time when living in my old house I hadn't shared a house really with anybody in in a decade 
And owning a home and living there by myself seemed like my status quo. It seemed like something I had worked hard to be able to have. It seemed like my natural state. Right. And, and it never would have occurred to me to move in with anybody or have anyone move in with me. I felt like I had decided those questions because I was, I'd been doing it for a decade. I was 50 years old. I had decided, uh, and, and things worked. And so I bought a new house. Well, because of conditions, I have lived now with my daughter and her mother in this house that's big enough to hold us and have been working on this house that I bought under these assumptions, uh, under the assumptions that I was a, that I was a man that lived in a house by himself. <laughs> right. And one day I will again, but it will have, it will, I will move into this house having lived with other people for a year and a half and found it not intolerable. And moving into a house by myself now seems uh, somewhat fraught or, or even questionable. Like, what do you, why do you need a house? You live in a house with these people. You don't need a, your own house. And I'm like, no, I do. I need my own house. Are you kidding me? Like, this is established. This is And now this you're is kind law. of qu questioning that law, right? Well, yeah, except like, I don't want to live in this house. There's not room for me here. Like, I feel like I'm constantly underfoot here. Everyone is constantly underfoot, uh, under my feet. Like, the better part of me does want my own place. But it's changed the it's changed it very much. And I just, I'm going to move into this house before the quarantine is over. And, you know, potentially move in right around election day. And it's, I've, I, I hardly ever look into the future and try to imagine it because it, because in a way it doesn't exist, but but I feel right now like I'm hurtling towards a, uh, inflection point or I'm, you know, I'm hurtling toward a, uh, an event horizon and it's, it's going to be a trip.